This show has explicit language and probably has mature themes. John, will you give us that intro lick? Explanations. I'm Dexter Sorensen. I looked some stuff up on Wikipedia, watched some YouTube about it, and I'm going to explain it to my friend David Drondale. David, what's new? Hey. Hey. <laughs> uh, not too much. What's new with you? Uh, nothing. All right. Cool. What are we going <laughs> to learn about? Abiogen- abiogenesis. <laughs> <laughs> Abio. Abiogenesis. A- I fucking love it. Abiogenesis. 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 No, most people say abiogenesis. Yeah, no, it is. <laughs> I know, but abiogenesis. Maybe we can start a thing like you do your probably and stuff like that. Maybe we can start a thing where we in, now just create a new way to say something. Every John time. John Green already does that. He mispronounces things on purpose all the time. We can't copy. We can't bite John the Green. The fuck are you talking about? He's like one of the greatest John podcasters Green. of all. Well, time. yeah, but still, I've been doing that my entire life. No, 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 no. I mean, like he he will do an episode about a thing and then mispronounce one of the key phrases or words in that thing. He's more artful with it, you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like he'll do an episode on the Mongols, and it'll be like, Hangus John. Oh, yeah, okay. But yeah, so abiogenesis is how life came to be through non-living matter. Yeah, Yeah. life from non-life. Yeah, there's no way to know exactly how it happened, but there have been some interesting hypotheses and experiments that we're going to talk about. And before we start talking about the origin of life, let's say all evidence points to a single origin of life, a la evolution. Wait, what? Like, all evidence points to a single origin of life via evolution. Oh, I've heard that there have been Multiple. multiple genesis. Well, um, yeah. And that while that life has certainly not thrived, that it is still currently here. Currently I've heard here. that there's actually evidence that there are there is life that lives in some isolated bogs. Oh, you're that talking about extremophiles? Like that have never... Maybe extremophiles are... Anyway. Well, I mean, they are anaerobic, so they are extremophiles in some sense. Like, they live in anaerobic muck. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Sorry. All right. So before we start, let's just say that all evidence says that natural selection and Darwin's theories are correct. Yes, of course, of course. Yeah. I wasn't trying to put that into dispute. No. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like backed up by the fossil record, embryology, and comparative anatomy and genomics. Oh yes. Just to be clear, every organism you've ever heard of or will ever encounter is from the same. Genesis. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Yes, yes. I'm just saying that there may be organisms on this earth, however, extremely rare and not at all complex that have come from a second or even third Genesis. Oh, okay. That are still extant. And there are some who believe that there are extinct Genesis. Okay, yeah, I didn't know that. Because, like, it makes sense that you would be extinct or you have to occupy a niche that wasn't occupied already because otherwise... 
you're just starting you're just an just arms gonna... race billions of years late. Yep. Yeah, exactly. That's why. And that's really why. It's not that Earth's conditions can't produce another Genesis, perhaps. It's that they would be outcompeted immediately. Immediately. All the resources are just gone for that sort of thing. Absolutely, yeah. Um, (laughs) So, also, life spreads itself through heredity. And that's pretty important. Yeah. Um, So, but let's talk about what is life. Okay. (laughs) Shit. Yeah. Uh, That's a really hard question. So let's talk about the basic components of life as we know it instead. Okay. okay, yeah. So the basic components of life as we know it are liquid water, CO2, phosphates, an energy source, a way to metabolize that energy, and reproduction. Okay, yeah, yeah. So That yeah. seems to cover all the bases. Yeah. yeah. So like liquid water, nothing can that we've found can live without li- liquid water forever. Um, carbon dioxide basically forms the structures. Right. Like we, when people say we're carbon based, we are mostly water and water, water has no carbon, but like water is like the solution that we, we, the process is happening. Yeah. It gives, it gives freedom to molecules and then mm. carbon provides structure. Like you said. Yeah. And then another important one is phosphates or, and phospholipids. Right. Which are fats. And they make up tons of the structure and function of the cell, including cell walls. Exactly, because they're the only thing that can prevent water from moving freely through that barrier. So, yeah, in order for life to start, pre-cell walls made up of lipids would be paramount. Right, yes. Okay, that makes sense. Basically, molecules... To separate the inside from the outside. Right, molecules able to... Lipids able to assemble themselves into a... Um, globular membrane would have been necessary. But that's actually pretty a natural thing that they do. Right, exactly. That's something that... It's not even rare. It's observed, yeah, exactly. They just do that. Yeah, and on one... Because for lipids, on one side, they're hydrophobic. On the other side, they're hydrophilic. Exactly. And so these fatty lipid barriers... No, go ahead. I'm, these, I'm in, okay. These I'm fatty lipid barriers they form like head to head and tail to tail, so that they form the the um, uh, hydro f- hydrophilic bond at their heads yep. together and their hydrophobic tails apart. So it forms like a hydrophobic barrier on both sides, yeah. which is what allows it to be only permeable when it wants to be, essentially. Yeah, exactly. And like modern, anything modern has like tons of passes through that barrier in order to serve the functions of the cell you're, that you're talking about. Exactly. Different types of channels. Yeah. Um, the other thing you need is an energy source. So you could have like the sun or hydrothermal vents in the ocean. Okay. Just some sort of external source of energy. Yeah. Gotcha. Then you need a way to metabolize the energy source or create chains of chemical reactions. Okay, so you basically need to turn the you need to turn the energy that's available into chemical reactions. Right. And a lot of times that energy might not be in a chemical form. So you need to find a way to use that energy to create complex chemicals that otherwise you wouldn't be able to create. Yeah, yeah. And then you can derive energy by breaking down those complex chemicals because a lot of bigger chemicals actually give off energy when they break down. Yeah, that's basically like what life is, is the way that 
you cause the chain reactions, which is called metabolism. Right. So like plants photosynthesize, you know, mm. whereas we go through um, ATP. Well, and the interesting or thing. maybe plants go through ATP too. I both of them, both of them use ATP. Okay. But the interesting thing is that ATP stands for like. Adenosine triphosphate. Triphosphate, but and the phosphate is like a photo, like a phospholipid. Right. Yep. And so, like the the phosphates are important for both the energy use and for the cell membrane. Oh, geez, yeah. So they're basically they're completely essential. Yeah, absolutely. They might not essential. be as prevalent as some other compounds, but they are absolutely essential. Yeah, and the last thing you need for life is a way to reproduce so like if you get to where you're making energy but you can't make more of yourself you're not really life anyway right that makes sense yeah yeah because you can't like life I mean, you're has highly ephemeral and you you can't evolve so yeah. you're not ever going to be more complex than just a bundle of molecules that kind of looks like it does something yeah life has heredity yeah i like that way of putting it but yeah like it's kind of nuts. So um, Aristotle believed in spontaneous generation. Okay. Yeah, that was that was common. Yeah. Um, throughout the entire Middle Ages mm. into the uh, into the beginning of the Enlightenment. Yep. And uh, like basically the idea of spontaneous generation was that like lower life forms basically just appear out of certain substances. Like if you leave a stake out, maggots spontaneously form on the stake. Yep. But that was like easily disproven by covering the stake and not seeing any maggots. And then it wasn't until like the 1800s. That was like in the 1600s. They kind of showed that. Okay. Which but, is the beginnings of the Enlightenment where people were yeah. thinking like maybe we can make rational observations about the world and discover things about it. Mm -hmm. And then in the 1800s, Louis Pasteur established the scientific law that life only comes from life. Okay. Yeah. How did? Do you know? Like, what, what do you mean by he established? He had. How some, did people accept he, that? He had some experiments that I'm unaware of. We'll do a Louis Pasteur episode. That would so be I, yeah. That's going to um, be an amazing episode. Yeah, but because we're going to reference him a couple more times in other episodes before we do it. But anyway, he did some experiments that basically just can't be ignored. Okay. Showing that spontaneous generation just is not a thing. Okay. Like, absolutely. That's why it's a law now. Um, and, and even if the listeners don't know it, his name is a household name because he is where we get the word pasteurization. Mm -hmm. Louis Pasteur. He invented yep. it. Yeah, he's a fucking crazy awesome scientist. Yeah, he's one of... he's. Like he's I was, one of the greatest biologists of all time. Like, of the two scientists I wanted to do biopic of... It was first Marie Curie, then it was Louis Pasteur. Nice. Still is. Now you know. You usually don't know upcoming topics. But anyway, um, basically also until today, religious people thought there is a vital force, quote unquote, that breathes life into living beings and that organic chemicals could only be made by this vital force. Right. Like a soul. Yeah. Basically, it's a soul. Yeah. And it was an immeasurable energy. Yep. And, like, because they had, like, no good ways to measure cells and shit like that, they really had no idea. And But in 1828, chemist Frederick Wohler accidentally made urea. Oh, okay. Yeah, and urea is a big part of what piss is. 
Yes. Yeah. And it's why it's also it's excreted in several other ways too, and it's why people mis misclaim that like when you pee, there is like um, urine in your breath or stuff like that. Like you excrete urea through Wait, your sweat glands. Say when you pee, there's urine in your breath. Yeah, I've heard that from several people. Interesting. It's weird, but it's just because <laughs> like you do excrete urea through your pores and through. Yeah. And it is well, okay. It yeah. is derived. You know, like we do derive it from the word urine because it's most predominant in your urine. Yeah. But it's in your bloodstream all the time. It's literally a, a, a component of you. Yeah. Um, but people previously had thought that it could only be made by the vital force. Mm. And so that was like something that showed that uh, organic compound could be synthesized. I see. So they actually thought that the chemicals that made up life were, were fundamentally different than the chemicals that made up inert objects exactly. in the environment around us. And the thing and that, that the turned vital it, force, okay. Yeah, the thing that kind of switched it over or like flicked the switch from non-organic to organic was the quote-unquote vital force. It was like a catalyst yeah. that made them special, that yeah. brought them animation. And so that was like kind of the first thing that kind of showed that that's not really like we can actually make organic chemicals, chemicals using non-organic process using yeah. non-life. So, yeah, with that stuff out of the way, let's talk about the Miller Ure experiment. Um, so the Miller-Ure experiment was done in 1952, published in 1953, and they're trying to make amino acids. So what they did is they set out to create conditions that were close to what they thought primordial earth was like, and then carefully watch what happened. Okay. So they made this like kind of crazy looking glass contraption in which they put water, methane, ammonia, hydrogen molecules, and carbon monoxide. Yep. As a kid, I watched Bill Nye. Bill Nye. I remember Bill Nye talking experiment. about this. It was cool. And so, yeah, in the bottom, they had water that simulates the ocean. And they also heated that water to be gently boiled so, so as to create evaporation. Okay. Then it goes in... Then the evaporated water went into a bulb that was to represent the atmosphere after traveling up and down a little bit. Right. I can even picture it. Yeah. And then it goes into a condenser to represent precipitation. Gotcha. Yep. And the droplets fell back into the water at the bottom, starting the cycle all over again. And that represented the water cycle. Yep. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. There's evaporation, condensation, precipitation. Yeah. You've got the whole closed cycle there. Yeah. And if you do all of this so far and let no, let it run, nothing really crazy happens. You basically just have a water cycle simulator. Yep. Yep. But they also added an electric shock to the atmosphere bulb. Oh, yeah. They just, like, a little spark. Yeah, yeah. Um, they just add a little spark and let it run for a week or so. And the water turned a murky brown. And when they analyzed the water, they found that about five amino acids that are paramount to life. Like, there are 22 amino acids that are paramount and seen in all life. Okay. And they found five um, that were paramount to life just by running that experiment. Okay. Pretty good for not really... Just, like, stumbling in the but, dark, basically. Yeah, pretty good. The but there are, there are problems Nye with it. Ron seemed like it was refined version of this. Oh, yeah, there's there's tons of refined Okay, versions. because, like, his, his added atmospheric conditions from early Earth, and so he added, like, methane and a lot of CO2 to his atmosphere. Yep. Well, that... Well, we're, we're about to get into that. We're about okay. talking the problems of this. 
Oh, okay, gotcha. So the problems with the experiment is that, firstly, we know that the mixture of stuff that they used wasn't the mixture of stuff in primordial pre-life Earth. Okay, gotcha, yeah. So, like, their atmosphere had a lot of ammonia and methane, but we know that the Earth mostly had carbon dioxide, water, and nitrogen. Oh, it didn't even have that much methane. Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, it's an organic chemical for the most part, I think. Uh, I think. Yeah, so their mix was wrong. No, it's not. Never mind, sorry. I don't know why I said that. It's not an organic chemical. <laughs> um, I'm not sure. But so their mix was wrong, and then if you throw nitrogen in the mix, which would have actually been present, the amino acids that they presented actually do break down. Oh, yeah. Interesting. And another thing wrong with that... Which pretty much invalidates it. Yeah. Well, yeah. But there's another thing. I mean, it's still interesting. It's still goddamn interesting, but like... But it doesn't tell us anything. No. It kind of brings us to the idea that we can make create synthetically amino acids. Yeah. But I'm sure we'll but talk about later really on. You can how. find amino acids all over the place. Yeah. And another interesting thing that's wrong with the Miller-Urey experiment is and that I had no idea about was the amino acid the amino acids they produced with the experiment were equally likely to be right or left-handed but life only uses left-handed amino acids oh which is fucking weird so if you think about like both of your hands right and left there's no way for you to rotate your left hand so that it can be perfectly super superimposed on your right right they're identical they're but identical, opposite. but opposite. So there is so there is a obvious left and right hand. And the same can be said for carbon atoms with four different types of pairs. Yes. Yeah. They actually have a handedness yep. or a mirror image and it can version. can only be oriented one way. But for yep. some reason, life only uses left-handed. Yes. And in some cases, the right-handed versions can even be toxic. That's fucking crazy. Yep. Um... So, yeah, I don't know why it's left-handed. I just thought it was fucking interesting. It is. It really is interesting. It's, it's interesting that, like, one version of identical chemicals had more of a likelihood of creating all of this or, complexity than the other. Or maybe at one point during that genesis, like... A just, coin was flipped, essentially? A coin was flipped, Like a biological coin, yeah. essentially? Maybe. I mean, it's possible. Yeah. That's conjecture on my part, but. Oh, but all of this is to some degree <laughs> yeah, conjecture. Absolutely. We're talking about something we don't understand. But I didn't do any of the science for it. Um, but anyway, in later versions of the Miller Ure experiment, um, like, they didn't even analyze it. And it wasn't until 50 years later people got around to analyzing it. And what they did was they actually created what was uh, a an atmosphere for a volcanic vent. Oh, okay. And uh, Like a land-based one? Yeah, they okay. created the atmosphere of a volcanic vent, a land-based one, and actually they created more, upon analyzation 50 years later, more amino acids and chemicals that are like useful in life. Which is kind of weird. Yeah, um, so they found more than the five they originally created with their first version. Yeah. Upon further analyzation. <laughs> Analyzation? I'm, no, it's analysis. Yeah. I, I don't know if I said it wrong initially. Anyway, <laughs> anyway uh, so that's good. We can make amino acids from non-living material. 
but we need to start like thinking of a process where those amino acids and other non-living chemicals start to reproduce and begin heredity and start the process of evolution. Okay. You know what I'm saying like it doesn't actually like you have amino acids that are there like that's not heredity or evolution. That's just like the basic building blocks. Yeah, you haven't even created a living thing. No. It's it's like it's the analysis of like you, it's similar to like having a bunch of bags of cement and like rebar and other foundational materials and then saying you've built a building. Like yeah. you haven't built yeah. a building. Like you just have the stuff that builds a building yeah. and you have no idea how it could possibly assemble itself without your intervention to make that building. <laughs> so uh, there are a few main contenders for the hypothesis of how that building was built. There's the RNA world hypothesis, the metabolism first hypothesis, and exogenesis. But we'll mostly talk about the RNA world. Okay. Um, the RNA world hypothesis proposes that the first cell-like functions on Earth was some version of RNA that could reproduce outside of a cellular context, and how we could possibly move from that to the world we see today. That's that's the world. That's the the genesis illustrated um, really elegantly in the Selfish Gene by Richard Dawkins. Yeah, um, he does a really I listened good to job. A podcast with him and some other person talking about. Abiogenesis. I mean, you almost It'll can't talk notes. about this topic without running a Richard Dawkins. No, you can't. It's impossible. Um, but yeah, he he does a really good job in the selfish gene of illustrating how that might work. Yeah. In a way that laymen can just like, like ourselves can just eat up. Yep. Um, so yeah, the cool thing about RNA is that it stores information and starts its own reactions. So like bits of RNA can be made naturally, but RNA is really fragile. Right. And yep. so this is where we get into the bubbles we were talking about that phospholipids actually form with, via self-assembly. Mm -hmm. Like, so when those bubbles form, they basically encapsulate whatever bit of dirty water it forms around. Right, exactly. Yeah. And if the RNA gets stuck inside a bo uh, bubble of phospholipids, it's more resilient. Because now it has that barrier. Yep. It helps Between protect it, it from the like environment. energy from the sun and all sorts of things. Yeah. So then another thing crazy might happen. If it gets cool enough, you might form a double strand of RNA. And But if you warm that same strand up, the double strand can come apart. Oh, and then, so when RNA is cooler, it forms a double strand. And I'm sure we both know what that's called. DNA. Yeah. And yeah. so that's that's really all it takes is it like a cooler environment well, and it sometimes and randomly just kind of couples up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's get through, through okay. it and then yeah, yeah, it'll for make sure. more it'll make <laughs> a little more sense. Um but if you get that replicating strand of RNA in a bubble inside a convection current where it's going from say hot water near a hydrothermal vent to cooler water near the surface then that strand that is being pushed together and pulled apart by its temperature can start to copy itself. And so when, when you sink to the bottom, the strands split again, and the process will continue, and the RNA will make new strands in the same bubble and grow mass inside the bubble. It's taking resources that are in that dirty water and yeah. using them to replicate itself 
decreasing the the amount of non-used dirty matter so to speak and make adding it to itself yep replicating inside making more of itself inside the, well, the and, lipid shell and and protophospholipid layers aren't non aren't exactly non-permeable exactly exactly some things are going to pass through yeah and i mean that's how osmosis occurs mm-hmm. but if it keeps adding mass then eventually the bubble has to break apart and collapse and it'll form its own new set of bubbles and like it's like if you think about soap like soap can bump into itself create a larger bubble or it can break apart and create smaller bubbles. And so if that happens when the RNA is being broken broken up, it's the RNA itself encapsulated in the new bubble is randomized with a bunch of errors. Yeah, that makes yeah. Yeah. And so those strands of changed RNA could be picked up by each side of the bubble collapsing into two bubbles or find their way into a separate phospholipid bubble. And like, so that's like basically not really like heredity today, but it is still an active changing correcting mechanism. And if you have all the time in the world, like earth is four and four and a half, 4.8 billion years old or something like that. And like, the and there's o- nothing around to like eat you or do yeah. anything like that. And the entire world was basically oceans after comets bombarded with, and transported our oceans. Like when we say that dirty, that dirty stuff inside the bubble, we're, that's resources for life. That's yeah. all raw materials for life. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I like, I didn't realize. So the, the idea that they could flow into cooler areas where they would form DNA, which is much more stable mm. than RNA because literally it is just two pairs it's a pair of rna together but what it does is it creates redundancy so if any one rna gets an error these little proteins go through and they read it and they're like oh yeah this one says this but this one says this one of these is broken this might be, it's this one honestly i think we might be getting a little ahead of ourselves at the time though because i think it was just rna that could bunch with itself not direct dna probably wasn't read very well probably oh wasn't. yeah no these proteins weren't around anymore or anything like that yeah. but it still gave a chance for better fidelity because mm. being being more stable that means one of the daughter bubbles later on might have Something a better that- replicator Yep. Then, then an RNA that had s- flowed up to the surface, been exposed to solar radiation, without being formed into DNA, and now it's irreparable. Yeah. Even though it's slow and efficient, that basically gives birth to heredity as we know it. Yeah. So that's the RNA world hypothesis. Okay. Um, <laughs> the other one I said we're going to mostly talk about the RNA world hypothesis is the metabolism first hypothesis. Okay. And it basically says that before you have replication, you have to have colitical catalytic chemical networks to take energy from your surroundings. Mm, okay. So it's like way more complicated than RNA world. And I don't really understand it at all, <laughs> but basically it's energy first before RNA. So basically you have to have a way to consume and use energy before you have a- RNA to transcribe energy. Gotcha. That's what I think. 
I I can see why that might be popular with some people, mm-hmm. uh, even not knowing that much about it, because I haven't really heard much about this theory either. But like just the idea that like certainly there are chemicals that naturally change based on external energy sources and then store energy yeah. because of that change. And so I wouldn't be surprised if the true answer is maybe somewhere in between these exactly. two. Like, and that's the way I think it goes with a lot of scientific lot theories. Of you have different schools of thought, and if you merge them, you we usually get closer get... to the right answer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then the last thing we'll talk about just briefly is exogenesis or panspermia. Okay. I was hoping we'd talk about those. Yeah. So it's super speculative, but we have actually found amino acids and other organic compounds and meteorites and comets. Right. Yeah, yeah. In abundance. Yeah. In abundance. Like the Murchison, Murchison meteorite is famous for having a bunch of amino acids and other complex molecules that are necessary for life. And it's like not to mention the whole mass of the oceans, liquid water likely came from comets and meteorites. Right. Smashing into the earth. And Here, s- oh yeah, sorry. Oh go, no, no, sorry. no, 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 no. Continue, continue. Oh, um, but the thing about exogenesis is it just puts off the question for another time and another place in space. Exactly. Like you still have to you still have to wrestle with the same question. It literally doesn't answer anything. It, That's my problem with it as a theory, is it's a theory for a different question. Yeah. Like it literally answers it's, it's, nothing. The question is how did life get onto Earth? Earth. It's not, not how where did, did life, amino acids come it's from? It's not abiogenesis. It's how did life get, get on, on Earth. Earth. Yeah, exactly. And so and so yeah, it doesn't answer anything because like it 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 doesn't matter where amino acids came from. I mean, that's an interesting question, but it's a different question from how did life begin? Because yeah. having Very a bunch different. of, like we said before, having a bunch of cement and timber doesn't do anything to explain how that stuff fucking magically com- assembled. assembled itself into a building. Yeah, like a tornado going through a Boeing Lab factory. and assembling, or a uh, uh, factory. Yeah. And assembling a plane. Yeah. It just don't happen. It doesn't. Yeah. And so like saying, oh, well, the materials came from outer space and thinking that explains anything. It doesn't. That actually reminds me. uh, There were two people on the podcast that Dawkins was on um, from the BBC. And the other guy was actually asked by the by the host uh, to answer what is life. And his simple answer was negative entropy which i think is a great fucking answer you know what that's based that's based on the thinking of a man who has been called the most intelligent human ever born and he is certainly the most intelligent human that's ever been recorded okay who are we talking about he i i this is embarrassing i can't remember his name but Joe Scott does an amazing episode on him. I read his book after Joe after I watched Joe Scott's video. Okay. Um, if you just Google Joe Scott Most Intelligent Man, you'll find the video that I'm talking about in the man's name. But he wrote an entire book, and I I I comprehended it as best as I could. Obviously, mm-hmm. it was written by an incredibly intelligent individual, and so I did my best. Um, but yeah. uh, it is all about how he theorizes that 
life is actually the universe's correction to entropy. And I know it sounds really hocus pocus, but the way he lays it out is incredibly compelling. Honestly, to me, that sounds fun. It is very fun. It's a fun idea. I don't, in some of the stuff I didn't understand. And so I didn't completely buy because we still give off waste heat into my knowledge. And it's not like like life is actually like, and life isn't an inevitable correction to anything. Yeah. In my mind, life will be stifled out by entropy. Eventually, eventually it will be. Yeah. That's that's my thinking on it. Yeah. Um, but it's an incredibly romantic notion, and he lays it out so eloquently, and he's such an irrefutably intelligent individual yeah. that I wish I remembered his name, and I <laughs> encourage everyone to go out and watch that Joe Scott video about him and read his book. Because it's a very short read. It's like 80 pages. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Look that up on Joe Scott. But yeah, like, as to end... Um, we basically asked how did life to be how did life begin and to be honest we don't know but we have good scientific leads and good theories and that's what i got on abiogenesis and read the selfish gene read anything by richard dawkins anything by him him. he's kind of an asshole but he's also kind of cool he's really only an asshole to people who who claim to be operating on logic and rationality but forego those things actually yeah they have um they have sacred cows all over the place that they refuse to apply critical thinking to and Mm -hmm. yet they call themselves rational thinkers yeah those are the only people he's kind of an asshole to i guess you're right and i and i get that some people might be put off by his conviction but you know what Honestly, like the guy is just so fucking intelligent and he mm. has put up with dumbass naysayers <laughs> his entire fucking life. Yeah. And anything he says about biology or psychology, neurology, read you, it. Yeah. I will say it here first. You can trust Richard Dawkins. Yeah. <laughs> Everything he reads is the gospel to me. I will admit that. Yeah. Up front. Uh yeah. Dexter and David love Richard Dawkins. I admire the shit out of that guy. Right? Oh my god. But yeah, that's it for this episode. The Explanations is recorded at Rabbit Pen Studios in Eugene, Oregon. It's produced, edited, and provided them sweet licks by Jonathan Cunningham. Art and logo by Monet Moran. I want to thank all our past and current cherished and beloved listeners on Patreon. Your support means everything to me, to us, and the show itself. Um, <laughs> and the show itself. If you want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash Dexplanations or leave a review on iTunes. We just got a one-star review, so we're at 4.9, so giving it a five-star review now especially would probably be helpful. Wait, so the person didn't leave any... It was not a written rating. They just left a one-star rating and didn't say anything? Yeah. Oh. We have 27 written reviews and something like 50 reviews. But you I don't mean, have to just, leave a I, written review. No, I know. But I yeah, just if, wish especially if you're going to leave us a one-star review, star. tell us why. Yeah. <laughs> why did you dislike us so much? Yeah, come on. I mean, I get it. Come on. But, like, I want to know what specifically. <laughs> so, likely, we got a bunch of things wrong. That's probably why. If you want to <laughs> <laughs> t- <laughs> tell me about it or just want to bullshit, hit me up at DexplanationsPodcast at gmail.com. Tweet me at Dexplanations or comment on the Instagram. I'll bring it up in a later episode or do a new episode about it. Oh, and as for you, you make me feel safe. Bye now. <laughs>